<laughs> and welcome to Misfits on Vinyl. My name is Spencer Straker. I'm an actor, comedian, and one of your tits. I am the second tit. My name is Aaron, and I am also a, a, an actor. And I am reading the screen today. Yeah, you're 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 taking over control. Yes, taking over the control. Spencer's eyes restrained. Um, Dude, my eyes are so bad now. Yeah. I haven't gotten a new pair of glasses. I, I've only went to the optometrist once, mm. and that was when I got these glasses, which was first semester of university. <laughs> and uh, uh, I've had these glasses since then. I don't know what my prescription is. It's definitely changed now. Uh, it's My eyes have gotten worse. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I just keep not going to the optometrist. That's fair, man. Yeah. I respect it. It's I not just, as bad as the dentist, but... Living in a... Well, I also avoid that, so... <laughs> <laughs> the, the worst part about the optometrist is when they blow air in your eye to try to check if you have glaucoma. Yeah, and then, like, yeah. you, you ne- it takes, like, five tries because you're always flinching a yeah, little. Like, <laughs> leave, your, <laughs> leave your eye open while we fucking air shoot. Like, yeah, shoot that one. Or when they're, eye. like, checking the backs of, like, the back of your eyes and that they, you have to, like, keep your eye wide open mm-hmm. as it scans it. Oh, I hate that. that one mm-hmm. as well. I hate anything to do with eyes. It creeps me out. I don't like yeah. when people touch their eyes. That's why I can't do contact lenses. I, I, I fucking refuse to touch my eyes. You're the same with no, that? No, eyes are creepy to me. Like, yeah. I just gonna wear glasses, whatever. I don't want to touch them because I'm afraid I'm gonna fuck them up. Mm-hmm. I'm really afraid I'm gonna fuck up my eyes. I scratched my cornea one time. Oh, I hate that. You want to add? I had a yeah, I had a, an eight millimeter scratch across oh, my cornea. Ew! And then they gave me this gel. You drop it in your eye, and it fr- like you know how your mouth gets frozen. Yeah, yeah, like Oragel. It does it to your eye. Ew! <laughs> so it freezes your eye, so Bruh. you can stop the pain. And then I had to drop like this. Um, medi- this medicine in my eye to stop any infection, and it would turn my eye yellow. Oh, I hate Holy that. Yeah. My Dude. butthole is severely puckered right yeah. now. Yeah. Oh, I got, God. I got a piece of wire when I was working at that scrub mill twice, two weeks in a row. I don't work there anymore, so I can talk about it. Uh, two weeks in a row, <laughs> we've talked about this now. It's like an hour apart. Uh, but anyways, yeah, I was loading copper wire and it came across my eye it got held up on the barrel and it scratched right across my eye oh, fuck yeah that. i had to wear an eye patch dude uh, I, I watched someone uh one time i saw someone get kicked by a cow and their eye popped out of their head yeah that was you, fucking disgusting i was lucky like it went across my eye because they said the doctor said if, if it hit my eye straight on my eye would have exploded oh fuck yeah. no gross yeah. fucking disgusting it had a glass eye dude fucking wh- would, why? You, would you rock a glass eye or would you wear an eye patch I'd, ro- I'd, I'd rock a, I'd rock I'd rock a glass eye like Fetty Wap man hell yeah yeah you know what I, I like might a... I might eye patch it I you know I think I would have a glass eye on standby if, you know for going would, out and stuff I would I would wear I'd one rock an eye patch I think yeah. I'd wear one without like a fake pupil or anything, just like one of the like ones that are just like fucking straight white. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Or would you do like something wild? Like all? Would you have like different ones, like different colors? You know ones? what? Dude, what they should make? That should, would actually be they, sick. They should make it like an eight ball, like a pu- like a pool ball. You oh. stick it in your eye, dude. Like that's a fucking business idea. Cool Yo, okay. You can have an eight ball in your eye. Yo. I I now changed my answer. That's what I would do. Yeah. But yeah. I do know a lot of people that rock eye patches. I actually there's quite a few bronc riders I knew that had one eye, and I don't know why. Mm. It, it just seemed to be a, a bronc Maybe rider. Maybe for thing. the reason you already said, getting kicked in. No, no, no <laughs> but like helmet. Well, th- th- there was only a couple of guys that did that. Okay. Uh, yeah, with bronc riding especially, there was, like, there's, the, I don't know why, it, like, 
Okay, people. Some people are gonna say it's because it, it's heavy on your head, and so like if you're riding, like you have to keep your chin tucked, and it's heavy because it fucking pulls your head mm. back. Which I can kind of see. I I can see that, but I would disagree with it completely when it comes to bull riding. I'm like, wear a fucking helmet. Like, it, that's the dumbest thing to. Well, if you wear like a lacrosse cage, they have like a pointy chin, and you're literally your chin's exposed. It's like. Oh, sticks yeah, yeah. Out, so you could definitely get your chin down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's not like a hockey mask where it wraps underneath lacrosse. It's open on the bottom. Yeah, see, and, like, I, I always had, like, a hockey mask on mm-hmm. with, like, bull riding. Uh, th- funny enough, the helmet that I got my head stepped on with was an actual, like, certified bull riding helmet. Nice. And it shattered. Nice. <laughs> so that, that fucking says a lot about nice. it. Nice. Did its job. Yeah, it did its job. It actually did it kind of by chance because the helmet shifted when I fell. So the cage was in line with my uh, mouth because I didn't have a chin strap on. Mm. And uh, the bull stepped on the cage. And I remember seeing his his hooves coming down. And I thought, that's going to fucking hurt. And, like, as soon as he connected, it popped the bolts off the face cage, drove the face cage right into my mouth, like, directly in. My teeth, like, popped through, like, the lower part of my lip Mm. and my top lip, too. Like, I have scars all around where, you know, underneath facial hair. Uh, now, obviously, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 it did a number on me, but if I hadn't been wearing the helmet, I probably would have been dead. So, yes. you know, did its job. Well, it, I, it did its job. I cracked a helmet playing hockey one time. Ooh, I went headfirst into the crossbar and my helmet cracked. Yeah. Dude. I had a gnarly concussion. That yeah. would, yeah. yeah, that would fucking hurt. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, no. that, that'd ring your bell. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was weird, but like I was like I think I was fourteen or fifteen at the time, and I felt like I was like five or six years old. Oh, like I was like, Dad, my head hurt. <laughs> my head hurt. <laughs> I felt I felt the same way, dude. Like yeah, yeah. every every. I uh, felt like a child. Like I was like completely like like reverted age like in age. Like I couldn't think straight. I was talking like really simplistically. Yeah, dude, my my I I, I felt the same with uh, with that one, but I I made it worse because uh, I snuck out like three weeks later to go to a rodeo because i was okay i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna justify this <laughs> no there's no way i i was number three in the country at that point in the novice yeah. bareback riding right yeah and they only take the top three to the canadian finals so uh there was like three more rodeos left i thought okay if i go and i place at each of those i'm gonna be able to uh like even just placing i'm not talking about winning if i place at each of those i'll get to go to the finals right and so I snuck out when my mom was away. My stepdad was at home, but he didn't know I snuck out. And I hitchhiked to a rodeo. I caught a ride with some people, but I had to hitchhike to get to them. <laughs> and then uh, I went to this rodeo in Valmarie, and my mouth is all wired shut still. I don't. I wasn't wearing a helmet because I was in the bareback ride. Yeah. And I, I didn't wear a fucking helmet with bucking horses. Uh, but, again, I probably should have because, well, I shouldn't have been riding at all. I had a concussion. I mean, you get your head stepped on by a bull, you're going to have a fucking concussion. But this was 2011, and, you know, it, concussions were a walk Yeah, the Will, the, Will Smith, the Will Smith movie hadn't come out yet. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I show up at this rodeo in Valmarie, and the stock contractor, this horse runs in, and I hadn't seen this horse before, and I turned to him, and I was like, hey, Carl, what's this horse do? And he's this short old stubby guy. And he looks at me and he goes, she bucks. And then he just walks away and I went, all right. So I go to put my rigging on this horse 
and I lean over the chutes, and as I'm trying to, like, put my rigging on, this horse turns around and starts trying to bite my hands, like, and, and is, like, squealing like crazy, trying to flip over. They put a necktie on the horse. I get my rigging on, but it took me, like, ten minutes to, like, slowly tighten it, like, mm-hmm. get it to where it was fine. Uh, I crawl over when it's my time, and I, I crack my hand into my rigging, but I couldn't sit on this horse. Like, normally what you do is you, you sit just slightly off to the side. Mm-hmm. And you sit off to the side that, like, you're riding with. So if you're left-handed, uh, you would sit to the, you know, left side of the horse. So that if the horse flipped over in the chute, it, the rigging isn't going right into your chest, yeah. right? Because this horse was freaking out so much, I couldn't do that. I had to stand on the top rail of the chute, lean down, and crack my hand in, like, while I'm standing over top of him. I cracked my bind. I slid up, like, over top of him. And I couldn't, like, put any pressure on this horse or move mm-hmm. my hand at all or else, like, started just losing it. So I had to nod my head standing over top of this horse. And as soon as the chute cracked, like, as soon as I heard it, I just dropped my ass and threw myself underneath my rigging. Mm-hmm. That fucking horse reared around the gate. And I remember just seeing, like, the lights in the top of this arena and then the ground. And I was just, like, holding on for dear might. Like, dude, there was nothing I could do. Yeah. Like, and I... He just came out, first three jumps, stood on his nose, and then reared back, and then stood on his nose and reared back. And I remember the third time he reared back, he went up so high, and I saw so much of the ceiling and so much behind me that I thought he was about to flip over on me, because it was just like, he was that unhinged. Starts like spinning on the spot, he's going absolutely crazy. I don't know how I stayed on, but I remember hearing the whistle... And I went to double grab, and I fucked up, and my leg ended up going over top of my riding arm, and like basically, essentially locked my hand into the rigging, and so now I'm backwards on this horse, and this horse fucking takes off around the arena, hits every single post going around the arena with my body, and I'm just like, I remember my head just bouncing off, and I was just like, oh fuck, mom's gonna be so pissed, like that was the only thing I'm thinking in that moment, and like, so they finally. The, the pickup men finally stopped this horse and everybody like like they, they had to get like 10 guys out there yeah. to like surround the pickup man's horses too to stop this horse from moving pickup men like have to literally pull me up over top because I, I'm so wedged underneath this horse now and also my rigging had been slipping if it had been another like 30 seconds I probably would have ended up underneath the horse and just gotten the shit kicked out yeah of me. so anyways I get out and I like you know come back to the shoot whatnot and I'm I'm like I I don't think anything of it. I end up winning, which is fucking nice. insane. So I jumped from number three to number one that weekend, and I was like, all right, I'm good with that. I'm good with number one. I'll I'll, I'll take it. Uh, but then I was supposed to go to another couple of rodeos the next weekend, and it was my 16th birthday, and I remember we had a field trip with like uh, our science class. And the whole time I was just like, I think I'm going to puke. And and we're outside and it's so bright and mm-hmm. sunny, like Saskatchewan, September, right? And we get back to the school and I sat down on a rock, like where the buses come to pick us up in like the bus loop. And I was just like, I, I started to pass out just from sitting there. And uh, my science teacher comes up and she's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I think I just need to get home. Dude, I went home and for four days I couldn't speak. I couldn't look at anything. Like light was fucking with me. Mm. Uh, my mom was still gone at this point, so my stepdad was like having to look after me. He's like, I think that like you got a severe concussion and like what you did last weekend just really made yeah, it worse. like made it worse. Yeah, and uh, 
Yeah, that really fucked me up because that, that made me not want to do it as much after that because it was like, it was just such a fucking crazy wreck. Yeah. Sorry, that was a tangent about that's that. That's okay. That's a cool story, man. It's a very interesting story. Yeah, fucking crazy though. And then I went to the Canadian finals in second place and I fucking lost. So, mm, well, speaking of history, speaking of history, we have a segment on our show. We do, uh, which is <laughs> this week. It's <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. You can do your song. I want I want you to say it first. <laughs> Spencer Spankers, Spanators, Sam's today's music history. You Belong With Me by Taylor Swift. (laughs) (laughs) Just like that one, it took me a second. Holy fuck, Ah, that's so funny. Okay, this one's recent. Yay! 2021, Jason Isbell becomes the first major artist to require proof of COVID vaccination or current negative tests to attend his shows. I remember that. Quote, I'm all about freedom, but I think if you're dead, you don't have any freedoms at all. He says, Isbell. (laughs) Fair. Fair. Yeah, fair enough. Rad fucking choice. Also, I remember how much of a uh, shitstorm that caused. Well, he's he's in another shitstorm now, too. Oh, really? Yeah, we were talking about this on the way over. Jason Isbell? Isbell? Not Isbell, sorry. That's uh, Tyler Childress, sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry. No, Jason Isbell's a real artist. (laughs) Whoa! 2010, Blues Basis. What the fuck do you mean? (laughs) Yeah, he plays real country music. Ah, you are barking up the wrong tree. (laughs) Tyler Chidler's has earned his stripe off three different albums. Yeah, and so did Florida Georgia Line. (laughs) They're not the same. They're not the same, bro. Tyler Chidler's has got so much more going on. Yeah. That man knows fucking outlaw. That man knows true country. I, I don't know. I wouldn't go as far as knows outlaw, but I feel like you're in the wrong ballpark. That he's not Florida Georgia Line. He's so far from Florida Georgia Line. Yeah. Yeah. He's 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 more like Morgan Whalen. <laughs> Sam's gonna be. You just don't like country. Sam's gonna be Morgan Whalen. <laughs> I do. I do. No, That's you obviously don't. I do like country. I just. I. I. What's wrong with them? I just am not. I don't know. I just don't. I just don't dig his music. I'm just. I'll be honest. That's a. That's an opinion. One. That one's an opinion. One. Yeah. Fair I enough. Everybody's entitled to their own opinions. Yeah. But yours that, is wrong. Yeah. You know what? I would disagree. He's. 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 You can dislike his music, but you can't compare him to like Florida Georgia Line, Morgan Whalen, Bro okay. Country. That's I will a say, little. I will say he it's is far from. It's he like is. He true. is closer to Morgan Whalen though. Like Florida Georgia Line was a was a ridiculous one. No, there's no. He has no snap beats, bro. Yeah, like the man. Bare, like if you hear a drum kit, it's like true country drum kit in his music. Yeah, no, I'm not disagreeing with that. It's I, so I, far I, from I will bro say, country. like, it is it is my opinion, but I do feel like listen, there's an artist this weekend that I saw at Folkfest. I, I, I will write a, like, I, I'm writing a review about this so anybody that wants to read it it'll be out by the time that you, you know when this comes out. But there, there's something that I've noticed that I, I personally will get tuned out when someone's voice isn't quite matching what 
the lyrics or what mm. the the uh, style of music is. And it happened this weekend where there was somebody that was singing about this outlaw country style stuff, but they sounded way too much like Dallas Smith or like Gord Bamford for me to like really connect with it. Like there was a, there was a, a lack of grittiness, a lack of grittiness, a lack Mm. of, uh, I guess like fucking, I don't even know what to say, like how to say it, but like, there's just a disconnect in the, in, in the presentation compared to the, uh, 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 the, I can, I can understand a little bit of that with, I mean, he falls a little more, I think, in like the Americana folk sort of range than he does in like he's closer to that than he is to Outlaw Country. I think yes, but I think there's been a huge shift in the last like decade of Outlaw Country like to what Tyler Chidler's is yeah. doing now. I would I would say like because Outlaw has always been about being your own self. Like it's a very like just true freedom like almost libertarian in a sense yeah and that's what tyler chiddler's is all about like that's his messaging like it outlaw country isn't the sound it is the messaging i think it's i think it is the sound too though i don't know if i agree with that completely i don't even know what is i don't even know if there's if you look at willie nelson versus johnny cash like they sound similar but also so drastically different it's their lyrics that what well i think i think lyrically yes but i think i don't know if there's really an outlaw country anymore i, I don't know that, if it's the that, same thing i, I think would, that's why the it's i don't changed. think yeah i don't think evolution. i don't think it exists the same way it did before no it but never me, does but that's all yeah. genre like when we the clash which is still up i'm realizing like when you talk about punk then versus punk now like completely different sounds oh, yeah. completely but you'll but still would, define them in the same genre i would also say like okay so let, let me put it like this because I, I kind of fall in between the two of you on this one. I feel like I could say something like Sturgill Simpson's first three albums were very outlaw country. Okay, I was about to bring up Sturgill yeah. as well. But I would also say that he ends up going into like psychedelic rock and mm-hmm. a bunch of other things that, you know, his... I, I think that the message is a part of it, but the message with outlaw country and the message with, you know a lot of hip-hop and a lot of punk is a lot of crossover, right? Like, we've talked about this before where there's there's a surprising amount of crossover in terms of the themes that they are speaking of. Um, when it comes to Outlaw Country, though, I really do feel that it is defined by a certain era uh, where it's like it's it, there's, there's now artists that are inspired by it and definitely take influence from Outlaw Country. But I would say, like, if you were going to put on an outlaw country playlist, I wouldn't necessarily even throw in like a Sturgill Simpson into that no, playlist. And I'd I, be like Johnny Cash, Merle Haggard, uh, Waylon Jennings, TBZ. Chris Christopherson. Yeah. Well, I think it's also a little bit of a lifestyle in a time period. Like that's kind of yeah. what I was getting at. Like yeah. it's a sixties, seventies, these people, like not all of them, but the ones that were the, like, you know, like we did an episode on Towns Van Zandt. He was yeah. outlaw country. Blaze Foley's another one. Those were actual drifters, people that, you yeah. know, lived the lifestyle of train hopping and working in as ranch hands and, yeah. you know, living a hard life, singing songs. Smuggling pills. Yeah. Fucking doing, doing but the I think hard it's, dirt. I think it's a, I don't know if it exists in the same capacity. I think there's, I think there's a good point. It's in, inspired, but I don't think Absolutely outlaw inspired. country lives and, anymore. And, and that's where I think, like, we could say the same thing about punk, right? Because it's, like, there's there's definitely, like, inspired by sound, but 
there's there's a lot different there's a difference in the lifestyle of of but the artist, but it know? begins in one place, right? Punk is one thing, but then it's branched off so many ways. Same with yeah. country music. Yeah, you know, you have pop punk, you have post punk, you have all these different branches off the same thing. Like you were saying, oh, it's under an umbrella, you know. But Outlaw Country is one small umbrella out of a giant umbrella of country music. Absolutely, that you know, I think he falls in. Tyler just falls more into, like I said, Americana folk country than he does Outlaw will- Country. The only thing I'll just add is literally the, to this week, he Tyler Chidler's title, like his face is on the Outlaw Country playlist for Spotify at the moment. Okay, well, and, <laughs> I mean, like, but I would also say Spotify can do weird shit with playlists. Like, that doesn't I've, mean yeah. anything in particular, but, like, the genre itself... It, like, all genres are evolving, I'm also and he not, is considered Outlaw. I'm also not going to lie to you guys. I don't fucking know a single Tyler Childers song. Oh, I just talked out of my ass and got you so angry. I did because he's amazing. <laughs> I, but I, I, I'm familiar and Sam's familiar. And we even have a... Disagreement know, on well, the, not We just have a yeah. di- different opinions. Yeah. We, I but, think we'll both agree he's really fucking yeah, good. And I, like I said, I think he falls into a style of country that is heavily inspired by Outlaw, but I don't Absolutely. think Outlaw is the same anymore. Um, no, I, I agree. I it's, agree. It's not the same. I Outlaw think it's a period in, in time. was what you yeah, said it yeah. was, and I think the evolution, like, modern, it's modern Outlaw, if anything, yeah. or post-Outlaw. Because like, it's like, could, like, what else could you consider Outlaw now? Like, if you were to name other artists, like... I'm not super well-versed, but, like, I would even, from one of our... Uh, unreleased episodes i would put william prince he falls into some outlaw especially with the reliever album that's a very outlaw album i would i would put him in like okay now uh let me say this i would put him in the same outlaw yeah i but i i put him more in the the category that i'd put like ian tyson in where it's like really strong storytelling but it's more it, it I would say that one would fall more into the Americana what's his name Zach Bryan I think what about like someone like Orville Peck Orville Peck where, I, does, I would where say, does he fall in this umbrella I think he falls definitely has a lot he goes between like that like Dead of Night feels like an outlaw country absolutely. song. Absolutely, Dead of Night. You have um, any turn that that's very outlaw. He literally, when I saw him live, he's like, "This song is directly inspired by Johnny Cash," and you can but, hear it so well. But yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of people nowadays like that do that style, but yeah, it Zach can't. Brian, Zach Bryan. I'm not familiar with Zach Bryan. Con- I, 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 I now to add to your outlaw country one though, I would put Charlie Crockett in that outlaw country. Uh, yeah. Like extended universe, I, I would, would say that. I would, I would, uh, yeah, I would put that. I would put him over it more so than like William uh, Prince. But that's not that's not to say that like again, like I, I would just put like him under like more of an Ian Tyson storyteller style of uh, of songwriting that's not necessarily outlaw. Then that's not to say like again, yeah. like Ian Tyson is fucking amazing, but he's not outlaw. You know, he's he's like mm. he's 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 just. It's the old man that comes so and tells you a fucking story. So we've created our own genre here. We have. The OCEU, the Outlaw Country Extended Universe. I'm down. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> on the lo- we need to now make a playlist yeah, and add OC- a bunch of singles the to OCEU, it. the Outlaw Country Extended Universe. And this probably the best country playlist you could ever put on. But honestly, <laughs> that, be- that being said, I do love when we have these in-depth 
debates about certain things. I think it. Oh, I do too. I, as a music listener, we are like we have talked about before. We're all not expert musicians. No. But as listeners, we I think we have a good range of opinions here where we can talk about topics and. But in I depth. also heard this last night at the Folk Fest. Uh, uh, like I, when I was hanging out in the artist lounge, mm-hmm. someone gave a phenomenal compliment about our podcast. And they said that what they liked is that we're not music critics, so we're actually talking about what we think is interesting about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we have a what they said is we have a better better grasp on things because we're more like what listeners are going to fucking yes. engage. And one thing I find I know personally I enjoy obviously I enjoy the music we listen to, but I also enjoy the stories that go along with the albums. Yeah, that I find that's what I find more interesting, and I yeah. find we spend more time talking about is the stories that go along with the albums. Yeah, um, that make it interesting. I would totally agree. Mm-hmm. Now I want to say one thing before we move on from this mm-hmm. because it, it it goes into the the uh, OCEU. Yes, fucking Sierra Farrell was phenomenal oh last night. My Holy God. shit! Mm-hmm. And that so was good. an electric performance. That was insane. Uh, like highlight it, of the weekend. Uh, one of them. Mm. One of them. I think that my my absolute highlight of the weekend was the Soul Motivators and Ocon on the uh, field stage. Uh, I stumbled across it. It wasn't like it was one of the ones I planned on mm-hmm. going to, and that. That was energy. That was like, and and it was two groups that you wouldn't necessarily put together. Uh, Ocon is like a Cuban, uh, like they have a lot of Latin influence to their music and and a lot of percussion. And the Soul Motivators have a fucking horn section. So the combination ended up being amazing. And both of these lead vocalists were fucking incredible. But what I was going to say that I found really interesting is that Sierra Farrell and Tanya Tucker, I saw both of them this weekend, and both were just as fucking good at getting the crowd so engaged in their in their in their acts and i felt like sierra farrell's set list last night was a strong set list like it was it was, it was great one of the better ones of the festival i would honestly say better better set list than the bahamas had i yeah like i love the bahamas set a lot yeah but i am remembering the sierra farrell set a lot more like there's so much more energy and like it was cool it was such yeah. a good set it was really good i have a fun fact for you yeah tanya tucker played the super bowl halftime show really in the yeah. 90s yeah with two other country outs i can't remember who the fuck they were huh. really? in the early 90s before the super bowl halftime show became the super bowl halftime show it was like slotted between a disney uh a disney super bowl oh, yeah. and then after that they had like an indiana jones super bowl show and they had like a bunch of country it was like gloria estefan then these country singers well gloria estefan winter or something and then it was michael jackson then it was these country singers another disney one and then it was like off to the races with all the big acts wow but the super bowl show used to be shit like oh before, yeah. yeah oh yeah before pepsi took over yeah there's some guy i watched <laughs> on youtube he did a really good job of explaining it but yeah tanya tucker was one of the oh. yeah. did you know that that's, that's actually why in living color did uh grew so much in popularity it was because they uh did a live episode at the Mm -hmm. same time that the halftime show was going to be going on and they promoted it as this will be better than the halftime show so they had basically fucking everyone in the country tune in which is amazing yeah that was in one of the winter wonderland ones i think it was the winter wonderland yeah Yeah. that's interesting enough anyways let's get through this uh, this. then we'll talk a bit more about folk fest (laughs) 
Yeah, we can we can talk more if you guys want to. No, I'm good. No, 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 I, I, I want to go through it. We'll I, finish yeah. this and then we can if we want. Yeah, I I feel like honestly I'm gonna, so, I'm gonna save have, it for your review. Yeah, I'm gonna have more to write about. I need to I need to get my words in order. Okay, in 2010, blues bassist Calvin Fuzz Jones dies of complications from lung cancer and Ooh. a heart attack. Wow, that's a age, double whammy. At an age 84 in South Haven, Mississippi. Yikes. 2008, in an interview with the Calgary Herald, Full House actor Dave Coulier claims he's the subject of his ex-girlfriend Alanis Morissette's hit 1995 song, You Oughta Know. Which we determined uh, from our Alanis Morissette episode was not the case. Mm. She wrote the song about several people. 2005, Nickelback releases Photograph. Oh! The first single from their album, All the Right Reasons, inspired by a drunken snapshot. The song's about Chad Kroger's (laughs) memories of growing up in small town Alberta. What What a time. 2003. Were you? Where were you when you heard Photograph for the first time? I was in Newfoundland. <laughs> uh, I don't know exactly what I was doing. I was in a car with my grandma. I do remember hearing Rockstar for the first time. Yep, that was a banger. Um, because we, my dad had a Mustang, a 69 Mustang. Ooh. And, yeah, we listened to it on the radio. Yeah, I remember that. Dude, your dad is so cool. I know he is. He's fucking crazy <laughs> he shit. Your dad's one of the coolest people I know. Leon. Can I give you a fun fact about me? About yes. my dad, yeah. So your dad and I know. My first ever concert was Nickelback. Nice. Ooh. Fun facts. That I remember hearing that song. Which Which tour? I don't fucking remember. I was so young. My I, mom brought me. I, oh, have, so, I have an embarrassing first concert. Uh, Canadian Idols, Rex Gowdy, and I forget the other girl's name, Melissa something. Really? Yeah, they, Rex Gowdy was from Newfoundland, so I saw him at the Mile One Center in St. John's. And then the next concert I saw was In Excess. Fuck yeah. With a uh, new singer from Rockstar Supernova, J.D. Fortune. Nice. So, yeah. My, my first one was Joe Nichols. Nice. Country music artist Joe Nichols. It was mm. at the Swift Current uh, Frontier Days Fair and Rodeo. And it was uh, in 2011 on Canada Day. Nice. I specifically remember it because, like, uh, you know, up until that point, I lived in fucking Nelson, Invermere, and East End. It's mm. not like I was, you yeah, know, seeing, seeing, the seeing concerts all the time. Uh, but I remember it was really good, uh, especially because, like, I don't know if you know who Joe Nichols is. He's saying uh, a couple of big hits in the early 2000s, like Tequila Makes Her Clothes Fall Off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was a really, really fun act to watch live, mm. uh, and it was right on the uh, right on right in the rodeo grounds. Yeah, well, I would have saw. Yeah, so I don't know if you know about this. This is another. We were talking about reality TV. Well, but this was a reality TV show from the mid two thousands. Which <laughs> <laughs> did you get that on raw video? Raw audio. Four D. <laughs> <laughs> Why is my seat vibrating? Oh, I smell it too. Disney's 4D experience. Spencer's shittle. Oh, I hear it. I smell it. I feel it. <laughs> I don't wish that on At anyone. the Epcot Center. <laughs> only this summer. <laughs> Epcot ball. Epcot ball. I was hoping that one was going to be louder than it was. <laughs> Uh, anywho, 2003, I'm going to just abandon my story. Uh, I'm going to give less of a fuck about that now. Um, Darren Malaikin of System of a Down plays the annual Hollywood Stars Night Celebrity Baseball game at Dodger Stadium. Vexed by his teammates, he writes Old School Hollywood, which appears on the next album, Me- Me- Mesmerize. One actor gets a specific mention. 
Tony Danza. Yeah, that Cuts makes in sense. line. Cuts in line. 2002, Lisa Marie Presley marries actor Nicolas Cage. And they lived happily ever after. Nicolas Cage. A union that lasts less than four months. Nah, not happily ever after. Can't give a fuck about the Verve. <laughs> 1994, Larry <laughs> Skinner releases Endangered Species, their eighth album. <laughs> <laughs> 1993, Lionel Richie finally divorces his first wife, Brenda Harvey, who was his college sweetheart after carrying out a secret relationship with Diane Alexander since 1986. Ooh, that's a It was a only a matter of time. Ryan, Richie married Alexander on December 21st, 1995, and fathered two children, Miles Brockman and Sophia Richie. I bet when those kids went crazy, he would go, whoa, what a feeling. They're dancing on the ceiling. Nice, nice. Uh, I feel like that's it. Everything else is, uh, yeah, I feel like I'm good. Okay. 1978, Muddy Waters. He played the Carter White House. Nice. Nice. That's All pretty right. good. I have it for our music history. I have a little uh, a little segment, Ooh. which is a challenge for all three of us. Ooh, I like a... That will transition into our album of the day. Okay. I want us to name some solo acts that had more cr- successful solo careers or completely different sounding solo careers. And then they did with a band. Mm. Okay. I got an easy one. Michael Jackson. Yep, Michael Jackson. Okay, mm-hmm. fair. Uh, Tyler, the creator. <laughs> I, I got I got a bunch in my mind right now. I don't think Tyler, the creator, counts. <laughs> <laughs> this one's completely different sounding. Okay. Darius Rucker, Hootie and the Blowfish, yeah. country singer. Oh, word. Yeah. Um, Phil Collins. Phil Collins. Peter Gabriel. Yep. Not completely different sounding, but uberly successful. I, I would say I would say definitely I would say Peter Gabriel different sounding for yes, sure. Definitely. Uh, Phil Collins, I felt Rio. like after Peter Gabriel left, Genesis just became Phil Collins true. you know, outlet in a way. Uh to to create more music. Uh, blanking on so much right I now. am too and I, Villo Vallo I wouldn't say yet but like because him is still su- like supreme mm-hmm. you know it's it's still popular but like since they disbanded in 2017 he's been working on creating his own solo career and he's touring stadiums and headlining no, festivals no, right I now I wouldn't say Don Henley was bigger than the Eagles but no. he had a very successful solo career very successful solo career um, I'm, oh I feel so dumb that I'm blanking on his name because we talk about him like every other episode but Doobie Brothers. Michael McDonald. Uh, yeah, Mc- yeah, fuck. Michael McDonald. Michael McDonald. I literally just thought of him too. So uh, yeah. Fucking, okay. Beyonce. Be- true. Yeah. True. Timberlake. Yeah. Timberlake's yeah. another one. Okay, that's that's a good um, one. Bobby Brown. He was more successful than he was in his fucking group. And I went, I definitely not successful but different sound but s- Paul Simon, Simon and Garfunkel. I used, yeah. Paul Simon's more successful than Simon and Garfunkel. Really? Yeah. Hands down. Oh, Graceline is a massive album. Uh, True. Also, True. You know who wasn't more successful? Art Garfunkel. No, no definitely <laughs> okay. not. But now, now going in, in the same sort of like uh, uh, group thing, uh, Neil Young. Neil Young, Buffalo Springfield. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and also uh, uh, Crosby, Crosby Stills, Stills, Nash and Young. Young. Yep. Um, um, trying to think who else. Uh, okay. Now, okay. Here's a Harry here's Styles. A, Harry True. Styles, yeah, yeah. Styles. absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely Harry Styles. Now, controversial uh, opinion here, 
the best solo artist out of the Beatles after they broke up was George Harrison. No, that's not controversial. I agree. I, I think, I think that, it would, because I feel like a lot of people just think of Paul. But I, I think a lot like, of people think like, of Paul and like a lot like of people wings. think of John. I, I, mm. Yeah. I like I, wing stuff. Oh, I love George. Mm. I, I would agree with you, uh, but I think Paul might be the bigger one. I think Paul might be the bigger one, but I would say that in terms of like, a solo act, not like because like Wings was another band, yes. and and so I would because like if I were to think of like Paul McCartney, uh, you know, as a solo artist, I would have to think of like simply having a wonderful you don't Christmas think of the time. The girl is mine. No, the girl Michael. is mine. No, Paul, she's mine. No, Paul, she's mine. <laughs> 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 um, okay, but no, I wanna, I, I wanna like figure out a few more because now I'm fucking. Uh, I'm. It's an interesting topic. It's a super interesting topic. Maybe there's one more. Hmm. Mm, Ice not Cube. Yet, not yet. Oh Ice no. Cube. Ice Cube. Yeah. Dre. 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 Uh, um, fucking. Oh shit. Definitely. Well, you could probably go pop for a bunch of them. Like if pop you go, would be like boy yeah. bands and stuff like that. There's always one There's that so comes many, out. Yeah. Um, Aaron Carter. <laughs> no, he was a solo artist from the start. <laughs> from the start, the solo artist. Nick Carter. Nick Carter. <laughs> Nick um, Lachey. Let me let me do a little look up. See if we've missed any big ones. Lance Bass, you, we're gonna be like, oh, mm-hmm. oh yeah, we're one hundred percent gonna feel stupid after this. I mean, we got a lot. I'd say I'm pretty proud of how many we went I am through. proud of that, like as a collective. But I watched all of us die a little on the inside when we realized how hard this was. <laughs> mm, let's see. Okay, so well, this list is, eh, it's okay. This one's actually by the numbers artists who sold better than their bands. Okay, so Morrissey. Oh, okay. Yeah. And the Smiths. Bobby Brown, we mentioned. Yep. Lauren Hill. Lauren Hill. Uh, Bjork. <laughs> I didn't even know she was in a bed. Omarion, don't know. Method Man. Method Man, yeah, that's another Iggy good one. Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop, yep. Uh, who Jad Kisses. Ooh, wasn't Pharrell in a band Yeah, before? he was in Nerd. Did you yeah. say Jad Kiss? Yeah, Jad Did Kiss. you mean Jada Kiss? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's fucking bad at pronouncing rappers now, Aaron? Sting. Sting, yeah. Lionel Richie, the Commodores, we were just talking about. Wyclef yep. Jean. Jeff Beck. Ooh. Yardbirds. Phil Collins is listed here. Kenny Loggins. Kenny Loggins. Okay, yeah. No, you know what? Also, look at just how many, like, themes of movies Kenny Loggins made in the uh, 80s. Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy, yeah. Okay, but now... You know what's wild is that he's more successful, like than the band was. That's well, some of these are like, so, Billboard entries as a solo artist, six songs, twenty three albums. Billboard entries as a group, two songs. Huh. Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay, let's see. Some of these are lame, like Camille Cabello and shit like that. Uh, Lou Reed. Oh, Lou Reed. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Uh, Ricky Martin, Ricky Martin. Ice Cube, we mentioned yep. George Michael. Oh, that one is so fucking obvious too, because mm-hmm. I literally just watched the Wham Doc like a couple of weeks ago. Joan Jett, Joan Jett. Tim- okay, Timberlake, we mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Busta Rhymes, Busta, <laughs> Busta Rhymes. Part of Le- he was part of Leaders of the New School. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Chaka Khan, Flava Flav, Tina Turner. 
She had more as a solo artist than she did with Ike. Wow. Diana Ross of the Supremes. Nice. Let's see. Van Morrison. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Beyonce. Uh, Neil Young we got. Yep. Cher. Cher. Yeah. Eric Clapton. That's a big one. That Whoa. That one is cream, so obvious. Cream. Yeah. And we even talked about that a few episodes ago, didn't and, we? We did. And we number one, did. which we got, was Michael Jackson. Fuck, yeah. man. We're... I, we did okay. We did okay, but, man, we missed some obvious ones, and I'm sorry to our listeners. I know that you have so much trust in us knowing mm-hmm. everything, and I, I apologize. We did pretty solid. But for... one that we did miss, we didn't miss, we're going to talk about right now is Dallas Green, City in Color. City in Color. Every Key week, yeah. and I forgot it again, every week on Misfits Online, <laughs> we review an album. Sometimes it's a really popular one. Yes. Sometimes it's one we really like. Sometimes it meets in the middle. Sometimes it's just Canadian. <laughs> and this one, it's a Venn diagram of everything. Everything. Um, and we review the album. We talk about the artists, where they came from, what they did, and how they sung. And and this one's interesting because I've seen City and, and Keller a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, you we saw them together. We saw them together. That was the last time I saw them was at the mm-hmm. Jube. Uh, I... Also saw him at Folk Fest uh, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. That was, I think, the best time I've seen him. Yep. Like in terms of, it was just the most interesting. Uh, I I felt like it was it was cool because that was 2017. So uh, if I should go before you, which I personally think is his best album, uh, came out in 2015. So he was still promoting that one and playing the hits. When we saw him, he was doing a lot of new stuff. Mm-hmm. And my favorite quote that I've ever heard anyone say when leaving a concert Aaron said which was I can't believe he didn't play save your scissors I don't care how many times you've played the song just play the fucking song man mm-hmm. <laughs> play the hits man that's like one say of your biggest line, songs Bart. <laughs> it's like yeah. one of your biggest songs like come it, on man and and that one it was so it was such a bummer too because he came out for an encore and that was when he played uh uh uh, uh Delaware yeah uh but you know he just didn't fucking I don't know. Play that song. You gotta play that song. You gotta play yep. that song. He played the girl for like fucking ten minutes. I know. Yeah, he did play the girl for like ten minutes. It was way too long. Yeah, that wasn't. I wouldn't say it was a bad concert, but it wasn't one I loved. Um, it's something we'll talk about today too. But there's something about his sound, um, in particular, uh, that sounds awfully similar. <laughs> no matter what album you're listening to, the later stuff it gets a little different. Yeah. He goes a little alt rocky. He goes a little indie rock, but all of his acoustic stuff sounds all in the similar vein. Yeah. Um, Specifically with this album, too. Yes, this album specifically. So the album that we're covering is Sometimes, Sometimes. which is the debut solo album from City and Color, which is a side project of Dallas Green, who's a guitarist and singer for the band Alexis on Fire. Yep. Um, This is a full-length debut. Uh, It was released November 1st, 2005. It was recorded primarily in uh, 2004 and early uh, 2005 while he was on tour with Alexis on Fire. Nice. At first, the majority of these songs were only available for live shows or over the internet through peer-to-peer sharing services. However, due to the high demand, they were compiled into a studio album and released through Dynalone Records. Nice. Which is a Toronto record company. Um, They have a couple big bands on the roster, like Jimmy Eat World. They have... Alexis on fire. They also have City in Color. I'm trying to think who else is on the roster. I was looking through it today. You want to? You mind looking for me, Sam? I, I I know the label that you're talking about, though, yeah. because uh, I I I believe we've covered someone before. It's just like they have like a fork for their logo. It's pretty yeah. interesting. But yeah, they're a local 
well, they're not local, but they're Canadian record label. Uh, Used to be local Toronto, for us. Based in, based in, in <laughs> Toronto. Um, now, on this album, Coming Home was the only song that, that was not previously released uh, before this compiled of this album. Oh, really? Yeah. And then Green had said about this album that he'd been writing material for it as early as when he was 16 years old. Um, eventually, he compiled and rewrote a bunch of the songs to make this album sometimes. Um the album's a dramatic shift from his work uh, with Alexis on Fire, mm-hmm. which has been described as a post-hardcore, emo, screamo, melodic, hardcore band. Uh, the band itself describes it their music as a sound of two Catholic high school girls in a, mi- in a midnight fight. That's <laughs> how they describe <laughs> it. <laughs> midnight Accurate. Fight. Yeah, and that's actually their first album cover is two schoolgirls holding knives. Oh, really? Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, so they really st- they stand true to that. Um, the cover art of this album, which is a like a traditional-style tattoo bird, yeah. um, was designed by Scott McHugh, and it's a tattoo-esque style. Uh, in a tattoo-esque style, Green uh, has stated, still may decide to have some of these tattoos inked on me at a later point in time. <laughs> I mean, he's covered in tattoos, so maybe he did. Yeah, maybe he did. Yeah. I, okay, now I have a question for you. Yes. How do you feel about Alexis is on Fire? I like their music, actually. Yeah? I like their Young Cardinals uh, album, and then the one before that, I forget the name of it. See, I, I uh, like that. I'll be brutally honest, I could never really get into them. Like, this must be the, what is it, what is it called, uh... Something the place boiled frogs is good, young cardinals. Um, well, I like the one that goes the city, the city is haunted. I like that one. Oh, I know that yeah, one. Yeah, that's them. Okay, yeah. Uh, I think yeah. they're a weird. They're a weird mix match that not a lot of bands have in that scene. Just from my understanding, is like. He's got he sings the exact same way. Like it's not like Dallas Green is singing the screamo parts. They have a whole other singer for that and his name's George something uh he's in another hardcore band I forget the name of them too but yeah like they're um like he sings his melodic parts it's weird because it's like a hardcore band and then he's got his like flowy singy on top of it yeah yeah and then they have screamo intertwined it's an interesting sound very specific to like the early mid 2000s um and I don't think there's any other sound similar to that at least in that scene um, where they mix the screamo and the melodic the way they do with two yeah, yeah. singers. Did you find? Did you answer my question, Sam? Yeah, I got a couple pretty notable bands that yeah. are also signed to the label. So Fiddler is a part of the label. The Flatliners, nice. Um, Tokyo Police Club, yeah. Nice. Hey Rosetta is another one. I know that. Uh, Arkells. There you go. Ah, uh, yep. Yeah, there's Probably there's why. a good chunk of bands that I was just sitting here. I'm like. Oh, word. So I think that's where I, I figured mm-hmm. out, uh, like, the it was when... The Lumineers? Uh, oh. oh, that's cool. Apparently, they have a really cool space now in Toronto. I was listening to a podcast with Dallas. It was, weirdly enough, it's a hockey podcast. Um, but <laughs> he was talking about they have a new space in Toronto where it mixes, like, there's, like, a restaurant, there's a recording studio, there's a, like, a concert venue... All in the one space in like this industrial area, like kind of near Etobicoke, I think. Oh, nice! And it kind of combines everything. Yeah, yeah, I remember hearing about that because they also have a brewery there, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Like they brew beer for yep. the restaurant there. Oh, that's yeah. Cool. So it's all in one, and they have like a like a small entertaining space, and they have a large venue, and then a bunch of recording Got, like, studios, a podcast studio yep. space in there as well. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's sick. I've seen pictures of it. It's dope. Anyway, please sign us. Like I said, dramatic shift from Alexis on Fire. Uh, we talked about the album cover. Um, Green kind of describes here like why he made this shift and why he sings this style of music. Um, he, he views that 
the best music for him is sad music. So, kind of explains. Um, it's influenced the type of songs he's created. He's also said that his love for music, he, he loves music he can sort of escape to. Um, the idea of sad music that people could identify with. Um, he said this album, specifically sometimes, has a lot of those songs and are written on some of the experiences I've been through and the stuff that I... And the, and, sorry, the experiences I've been through and stuff. And that's just how I deal with it. I just write songs when I'm bummed out, and it makes me feel happier. <laughs> so, <laughs> pretty straightforward, to the point kind of guy. Um, sometimes was co-produced by Green and Julius Butty. Ooh. Butty engineered most of the songs, while four of them were engineered by Larry Thompson. I was actually supposed to meet with him one day. Really? Yeah, but he was busy. Ah, uh, nice. <laughs> and four were engineered by Larry Thompson at Green's friend's house. Buddy mixed the album before it was mastered by Brett Zilhali and Yao Cavallo, who mastered it. Okay, <laughs> now about the artist. Yeah. Green was born on September 29th, 1980 in St. Catharines, Ontario. Ooh. Green was named after the Philadelphia Phillies manager, he Dallas Green. He has the same Green. birthday as my mom. There you go. Yeah. He was named after Philadelphia Phillies manager, Dallas Green. Ooh. Green had stated that he had gone without a name at first. <laughs> his mother was considering naming him Graham Todd Green, but his father had bet on the Phillies during the 1980s World Series that October, and the team won. His parents decided to name him Dallas after the Phillies manager. <laughs> nice. Respect. Dude, that's so funny for like such a Canadian yeah. like, uh, like icon to be named after a, a, a baseball team from mm-hmm. the States. Not even a Blue Jays fan. No, this is the Phillies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no doubt. He's a Blue Jays fan, though, and a Raptors fan. So Ooh. that's fun. Uh, Green has sta- started playing piano at the age of eight and writing music since he was around 14. Uh, the first album he bought with his own money was Allison Chain's Dirt. Nice. And he bought it on his 12th birthday on September 29th, 1992. There you go. Um, Green said that if people want to get to the bottom why he makes music the way that he does, it's because of Allison Chain's. So that uh, is pretty cool. Yeah. So before he joined Alexis on fire in the early two thousands, he was playing in a band called Helcyon blue or Helicon. It's Helicon blue. Sorry. Helicon blue <laughs> in St. Catharines, uh, another hardcore rock band. Um, and then he began playing with Alexis on fire in late 2001. They have released four albums, Alexis on fire, watch out crisis and old crows slash young Cardinals and, additional two EPs. So the ones I would recommend listening to would be Crisis and Old Crows. Okay. Yeah, those are the ones I like best. Um, so this is funny, too, because he's good with names. So Dallas came up with the name for the band, uh, Alexis on Fire, from an episode on Discovery Channel. Uh, this specific episode was about contortionism. In the show, I don't know what show it says, it doesn't say, but... Uh, in the show, there was a segment on a stripper who added contortion, contortionism. Sorry, I can't say it into her show, as well as lactating and breathing fire. Oh Jesus! The woman's stage name was Alexis Fire, and the segment was called Alexis on Fire. He thought this would be a cool name for a band, and that's where it all started. That's so funny. Yeah, there you go. I wonder if she put out the fire with her breast milk. Probably. That would be probably a the bit. That's great way to do it. Yeah. Like she, she's like, you know what I'm imagining is she grows out a giant bush <laughs> and then lights it on fire and then just squirts her titty milk on her, I on her vagina. I, I personally didn't imagine that, but I'm glad you did. That's how I imagined <laughs> In it. In 2003, Dallas appeared along with uh, Alexis on Fire vocalist Georges Petit. There you go. On Jude the Obscure's album, The Coldest Winter, doing additional <laughs> vocals on three separate tracks. 
So in 2004, this is where this first part of this album was actually released. While on break with his band, Dallas recorded The Death of Me, the first solo EP by City and Color. It was recorded in three days while his band, Alexis on Fire, was taking a short break in between tours. Only 2,000 copies were pressed, and the EPs were only available at his early solo shows in southern Ontario, and they're no longer in print. So there's only 2,000 copies ever made. Wow. It features a ton of tracks, all the tracks on this album, except uh, whatever. Coming Home. Yeah, Coming Home. So it's pretty much much the same album. Okay, I'm putting that out there into the universe. If anybody has that, I want it. There you go. I will I will pay for that. So the name City in Color is a play on his name. Yep. Dallas Green. Dallas you know? Green. So he's really good with the naming thing. Um, and so, I do have to say it is a it is a good name. Yeah, it's not bad. It's pretty good. It's it's memorable. Uh, so in 2005 like I said he released Sometimes and he begins to now have to balance touring and recording both as a solo artist and as a, success, as, as a successful band. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of the battle he goes on for about five or six years where he's touring extensively as City in Color, but also touring and promoting albums and recording with Alexis on Fire. Because Alexis on Fire recorded their biggest albums in 2006 and in 2008. Yeah. And this is right, right after he recorded his first album and then his second album in 2008, which is also a big hit for him. Uh, kind of brought him more on the mainstream than sometimes did, and um, then and then he he also followed it up with uh, releasing the single of the girl mm-hmm. in like 2009 or 2010, yeah. and it was played for fucking ever. Yes. Uh, what I think is super interesting about that too is it makes sense then with the lyrics in uh, uh, Coming Home, where it's like, "I never take pictures because I know I'll just be back soon." Yep. Uh, if you're crossing the country and specifically the country, because like. The, their 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 Canadian touring was far more extensive for so long. Mm-hmm. Well, then this brings us to 2008. He releases "Bring Me Your Love," uh, which we just talked about, and it features a collab with Gord Downey nice. of the Hip on the track "Sleeping Sickness," which is a really really good song. I think personally one of his best. I would agree. And then one of his biggest tracks, "The Girl." Um, this album kind of shot him more into the mainstream indie folk scene more outside of Canada even. yeah um, especially with the girl it received extremely positive reviews uh, the specific album and like I said really shot him to a headlining tour tour on his own um, so doing tours across North America the UK that sort of thing well and I had no idea that Gord Downey was the the other vocalist yeah. on that song yeah, that's fucking is. insane yeah he is so with green touring North America and the UK extensively as a solo artist. And he actually opened for Pink in the UK tour, leg of her tour. Damn. Um, between that and his commitments to Alexis on a Fire, he said that he suffered a nervous breakdown. And that doing both was killing him, specifically being an Alexis on Fire. Mm. Um, so, at the end of the Old Crows Young Cardinals tour with AOF, Green told the band that he was leaving. That he would announce his departure. He wouldn't announce his departure until the band decided what their future plans were. The band officially disbanded in early 2011, so they did not want to continue on without Dallas. Um, so, continuing with his solo stuff, 2000, on June 7, 2011, he released his Little Hell, and it debuted at number one on the Canadian Billboard charts. Um, and he kind of moves away from his acoustic folk sound with this album and it kind of signifies a little bit of a shift 
uh, leaning more into an indie rock sound with Sandout singles, The Grand Optimist, and Fragile Bird. Um, he does rework these into acoustic tracks as well, but they were originally kind of like a acoustic-y indie rock sort of sound okay. um, on this album. So in 2013, um, he releases Hurry and the Harm. Uh, and the sales in Canada were strong, but it was mixed with it was met with mixed reviews. It, he also dove a little bit into an alt rock sound on this one, mm-hmm. uh, ditched the the acoustic guitars, kind of experimenting more with full bands, keyboards, uh, synthesizers, like he does in the album before. But it's more of a full sound. But it's getting mixed reviews. This one's interesting now. I don't know if you know about this. In 2014, he had a collab album with pop rock singer Pink. Uh, under the name You Plus Me, and the album is called Rose Ave. It debuted at number four on the U.S. Billboard Top 200. Wow. Mm-hmm. So after... Is oh, that his highest debut? Uh, in the U.S., yes. In Canada, he's number one a yeah. couple times, but in the U.S., he has not. So, yeah, he has a collab album with Pink. After touring together about two years later, they made this collab, which is strange. That is uh, a very it's strange like a combo. Folk rock pop like a folky acoustic rock almost a little country yeah yeah duets um yeah but it debuted at number four on the u.s billboard top 200 that's so cool yeah so following 2014 he's released three studio albums and a live album if i should go before you in 2015 which, which that's my favorite album of his yeah i like that album i too. i, I want to just talk about this album really briefly before we move on because mm-hmm. something that i think uh this is something that I've, I've kind of thought about with that album is when I heard it, it reminded me so much of Hosier's first album mm. uh, in a lot of ways. But after hearing Earth Tones, I also find that it seems to be the polar opposite sonically of, of Earth Tones. That makes sense. And they both start very similarly. And they did come out around the same time. Earth Tones was what, a year later? 2018. Oh, I thought it was 2016. Yeah, Earth Tones was 2018. Mm. Yeah, we've um, had this conversation before. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, if you think about it, like it would make sense too that they like. I, I'm just throwing this out there. That's a theory for me to say to everyone. I think that Dallas and Affy maybe had a big old plan <laughs> nobody else knew about except for them that they'd have two sonically mm. cohesive albums that complemented each other, yet were different. There you they, go. They both start with tracks about women. Well, he's released multiple albums, so like I said, yep. Picture Go Before You, and a live album, Guide Me Back Home in 2018, uh, Pill for Loneliness in 2019, and then he just released The Love Still Held Me Near in 2023. And a Pill for Loneliness, it goes a little bit further away from the alt and back into the acoustic. That's the time that we saw him. Yeah. Now this most recent album, apparently it's quite good. It's getting some good reviews. I haven't listened to it. I think it came out in March. Um, but he's dealt with like some personal stuff going on. His longtime friend and manager actually drowned while they were on tour in Australia. Shit. Mm-hmm. And then I can't remember what, I think his nephew or cousin or someone died close to his family. Fucking Phil Collins could have helped him out there. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, that's it for him. That's all I have for about about him. Damn. Uh, short and sweet. I mean, there's not much on his page. Like, without 
diving into a bunch about Alexis on Fire, which I don't know if we'll ever do an Alexis on Fire album. I, I mean, I'd it. be down eventually. I doubt it, but there's not a lot to be said. Like, literally everything I've just told you. Um, actually, I have, I guess, something worth saying. Um, he was talking about this on this podcast, that how strange it was, because they were, like, 18 or 19 when they blew up with um, Alexis on Fire, and then he was, like, 25 when he blew up with City in Color, and he was like, yeah, I was, like, at the West Edmonton Mall, and I was walking by the skating rink, and people were figure skating to my song. Oh. Was like, it was, like, the weirdest thing I've ever heard. That's yeah, weird. Yeah, he, I think it was Coming Home or one of the songs off of Sometimes. But, yeah, he's, it might have been Save Your Scissors. It's like, yeah, I was just walking by, and I look out, and there's, like, 15 <laughs> teenage girls figure skating to my song. He's like, yeah, I think I made it. What a strange feeling. He's like, I'm, like, 25. I'm buying some sneakers, and I, like, hear my song played at the biggest mall in fucking Canada. Um, yeah, so if you want to know how it feels to make it in Canada, it feels like being at the West Edmonton Mall. I bet that there was also a lot of girls finger skating to his album. <laughs> oh, Spencer. <laughs> oh, Spencer. Doing a lot of figure eights, you know? A couple of little things I can mention, I suppose. Um, he also has toured with Tegan and Sarah, uh, Girl in a Coma, um, Butch Walker. Did she wake up? <laughs> nice. <laughs> a couple different no. things he's done. Um, he's a really, like, loves... Uh, Shod, um, I don't know. There's all sorts of different things here. Shod, dude. Yeah, but anyways, that's it for about him. Um, now we get into some notice, notable tracks off the album. Yeah. Um, obviously, there is Save Your Scissors, Hello, yep. I'm in Delaware, Coming Home. Uh, some other songs I do like on the album. I like Casey's song. Yep. Sam I... Alone's decent. Uh, in the water, I am beautiful is okay. But this brings us to the conversation I want to have. Yeah. They sound so much alike. A lot of these songs yes. are very similar. That's my main crit- criticism. The songs are repetitive in sound and in content. And, like, when I was, like, you know, 10 or 11, the lyrics really hit hard. Yeah. Uh, but now that I'm a grown-ass man, I'm kind of like, mm. I I kind of I, – I had this conversation, actually, with Siobhan – uh, uh, about him, and it was it was not just Siobhan, it was also her dad. Like her dad uh, was like saying that you know the, the like nothing's that deep, you know. No, it's it's very much like playing deep, and it it kind of it reminds me of like the the Family Guy skit skit from way back in the day where it's like yeah, this is like that guy playing guitar on a college campus, and it's like. I have every beer bottle I've ever drank on the board above my bed, and it's just like it kind of it kind of gives that vibe a little bit. Mm-hmm. And not that I don't like the songs; there's a lot of good songs in it, but they, they are a lot very much the same. Yes, I don't think he is spectacular lyrically on this no. album. Um, I think he gets way better. Yes, I think he gets way better in time as well. Like, I'm just going to read off a lyric off of Like Knives. Okay. Um, Your words are like knives. They peel my skin and pierce my soul. Your body will burn tonight, though my heart may still remain cold. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's some Tumblr level yes. shit. That's like, that's like 2012 Tumblr girl shit. Yes, the sheets are stained with the memories of your soft kiss. Now all I have is a, pe- a paper and pen to remember you with. 
Ew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ew. So, you know, not to overly criticize. I mean, he was young, and some of these he wrote when he was, like, 16. But there's some... But, like, edit, man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, like you don't have to... Just because you wrote it when you were 16 doesn't mean you have to record it when you're 25. Yeah. <laughs> like, ew. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> that was a rough one. Yeah, I'm going to see if there's any other ones. I saw this review. I don't... Uh... I don't know where I found it, but I'll paraphrase it. This guy was like, yeah, this was like in 2005. So this is old internet shit, old forum, dead forum. He was like, yeah, I wanted to pick up this Dallas Green shit because I like Lexus on fire. And I went and picked it up, and my God, is he ever whiny. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, yeah, I couldn't listen to it. The lyrics were like something I'd write in my journal when I was 12. (laughs) They really are, though. Just roasting it to shit, man. Uh, which is which is funny. I think certain some some songs have certainly held up. I think I think coming. I think the three that are the big yes. ones: coming it, home, hello, I'm in Delaware, and save your scissors. Yeah, um, those but, ones those ones hold up. And I think that like save your scissors isn't as cheesy as the other ones. But like that's the things I feel like this album could have been, uh, like this could have been an EP. You know, it well it originally been, was right. Yeah, and a limited. Um, so I mean. I don't know. The, like you said, the standout tracks certainly still stand out. I mean, if you even look at the genius, you go through the other tracks, there's like one or two lyrics described. All the big tracks, all of them are perfectly described. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think uh, Coming Home and Hello, I'm Delaware are both beautiful songs. And Save Your Scissors, I think, is the catchiest of them all. Yeah. Um, and I think the hook on that is really nice. I, I, I also think that, like, uh, Coming Home and Hello, uh, I'm in Delaware, like, very, like, we've talked about the similarity of his lyrics, mm-hmm. and those are saying the same thing in two different ways. And a lot mm. of the other tracks are saying the same thing in two different ways. You I, know? Like, I like this one, this dis- description of his lyrics. Uh, so why does it always seem that every time I turn around, somebody falls in love with me? Description, genius annotation. Fangirls and groupies. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, this has never been my sole intention. Getting girls is not the reason why he started playing music. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And then I have never claimed to have patents on such inventions. He knows that girls have fancied him because of his music. But he's sure he wasn't. But he's sure he wasn't the first to come up with that. <laughs> Deep. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's exactly what he was going for, but... But you know what? 10 out of 10 for trying. Yeah. All right. What what do we got left? Uh, that's it, man. That's Let's it? get into the reception. Oh, I got a bit on the reception. I oh. didn't write much for this because there's not... It went platinum in Canada, which is like 20,000 copies. Yeah. Um, it's not his best-selling album. It didn't debut high or anything like that. I but do... we are still forced to hear it on the radio. I do remember the music videos being played on Much More Music quite yep. a bit. Um, Video on trial back yeah. in the day. Especially for with Deborah Giovanni, I remember yeah, her from Deb that. Deborah Giovanni, that's where I recognize her from. Uh, video on trial that unlocked a memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Video on trial for anybody that's Canadian, give it a watch. Uh, but yeah, music videos are popular in Canada. Um, he's also kind of falls into one of those bands. I don't know his success in the U.S., but I certainly feel like he's one of he peaks Canadian wise and 
Uh, I don't know if he gets the same airplay everywhere else. I know he's got a bit of an audience in the UK and Ireland, but I think he's one of those like uh, uh, like he's bigger here in the UK. I think in the US, he like he does play festivals down there, so yeah, he's got to have what, like some pull. But... Yeah, like the mass appeal for him in Canada too is like I mean the mass appeal is a little different because I mean he's a singer songwriter, folk acoustic. Yeah, I mean I can only get so much radio play. He's Canadiana. Yes, he is Canadiana. Um, but yeah, it was fairly well received. I've seen reviews from people that were like at the time were negative because yeah. they wanted Alexis on Fire stuff. A lot of the stuff we brought up was brought up then too. Oh, it's a little repetitive. Repetitive in tone, repetitive in content, repetitive in sound, uh, but it's a nice sound. I've heard lots of good... There was lots of positive reviews about his voice in itself, how it shines in this compared to it does on Alexis on Fire at the time. Yeah, how yeah. he kind of flows effort, effortless, effortlessly which I think he does. It's one thing. He's one of those singers where he sounds so beautiful without pushing it. He doesn't push his voice out. He doesn't push the hit notes. Yeah. He kind of flows through the song and it sounds beautiful effortlessly. So I give him uh, I give him that. But like we said, it's a little rep- repetitive in sound and repetitive in its content. Um, but with that, we can review the album. Yeah. Each week we review the album on different elements such as technical musical yes. lyrics reception album art and does it hold up uh i think technical you can't really go that high uh, it's recorded in like houses and yeah it's acoustic and it's pretty straightforward to the point that I've, being said though it is it is crisp acoustics which is nice yeah, and I because think, you I hear think, a lot of people do acoustic stuff that sounds I think Kitty. his guitar playing is decent and yeah. kind of falls more in the musical side, but it, it's, uh, I think he's, some of it is just straight chord progressions, but some of it he does a little finger picking and does a, you know, brings a little more pizzazz to the, to the mix. Yeah, yeah. I think technically I'm cool coming in at like a five or a six. I don't think, it's a, it's a short solo album. It's like 40 something minutes long. It's to the point acoustic music, um, not, nothing technically innovative. Yeah, I'd I'd probably agree with you. I'd go in at uh, I'm gonna say a six, a six, because I know I'm gonna go lower in some other places. So we're at five and a half. So yeah, we're at five uh, and a half. Musical element. Now this one's interesting because it's tough to say because yes, we've we've also talked about how his music sounds the same in the long run as well. Mm-hmm. But at the time, yes, it does get repetitive on this album. But it was also so different than what he had done before. It was his debut. He was taking a risk too. Yep. Um, I mean, he obviously got he was working on his solo stuff while in this post punk band, this hardcore band. But I don't know. I think musically, it's n- now if we're including his voice in it, I would rate it higher just because his voice is incredible. I think he's got a great tone of voice. It's silky smooth. Yeah. Um, I think I like a six and a half, a seven. I think a seven is fair. Uh, I think I'll go seven. I think I'll go. I'll go six and a half as well. Yeah. Although uh, repetitive, I think it's still quality. Yeah. Um, you know, it does sound the same, but it, the, the same doesn't sound bad. Um, yeah, I would. I would agree. I don't think that it's. Uh, you know, it, it's not bad. It's just that it's like. It's kind of coffee shop music. Yes. Now, this know? is not an album I'd listen to on a regular basis. No. Um, There's a reason that I sold it. I used to have it yes, in my co- collection. It, it's and... a little... It is a bit of a bummer, um, but not not in the way that other albums are. Like, you could go to, like, an Elliott Smith album, and it's a sad album, but you're, you know, 
you're listening to it for that reason. Yeah. Um, you know, you're sad, you want to listen to it. I don't know if I'd listen to this album because I want to listen to sad music. No, I, I feel like there's there's better options to choose, too. Yes, if, and like if I do listen to anything off this album, I'm listening to Save Your Scissors. I'm, uh, I'm listening to it. singles more than I'm going to listen to the yes. whole album. And yes. like, the, I, I honestly think like re-listening to it for this podcast was probably the last time that I'm going to listen to it all the way through. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's just, it's it's one of those albums where I'm like, yeah, I've, I've, I've heard it. I know what it's about. Yes. Okay, um, now, if we get into lyrics, though, mm-hmm. uh, I have to go a lot lower, mainly because of, like, them not holding up, and I do think that lyrically he has become a lot better. I think that, like, Sleeping Sickness is a fucking phenomenally mm-hmm. written album, or, or uh, song, yeah. sorry. Uh, and I think that If I Should Go Before You, I felt like... The entirety of that album is so well written. I feel like this one, because there is so much repetition, there's so much corny mm. lyrics. There's, uh, It's just, apart from the hits, but even like I said, there's there's some crossover there. I would honestly go at a four for lyrics. Mm. I, I would go a little bit higher. Yes, we kind of pointed out some of the cringier stuff, but I think it certainly, on certain tracks, they flows really well. Um, I think his... You know, it gets his point across, although might be a little bit simplistic in nature. Mm-hmm. I think he, he, you know, he sets the tone pretty well. I, I think, uh, what'd you go, five, four? I did a four. Yeah, I think I'm more at a five and a half, maybe five a and six. A half? Yeah. I think right. there's certainly worse lyrics out there. I mean, we've done some hip hop lyrics that are just like, you know, this one's, a, this one's a different type of lyric than the hip hop ones. Yeah. Um, I mean, he definitely, like, I can't imagine Dallas Green seeing run shit like diarrhea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Although I really Run want to hear him say it. Like diarrhea. <laughs> Running shit like diarrhea. <laughs> and I run shit like diarrhea. <laughs> I think that's more of, yeah. Run shit like diarrhea. Save your shit. Save your shit. Diaper. Save My diaper is too full. I don't think the. Shit will fit in. Save your die. There goes my bowels. <laughs> nice. Anyways, uh, I lyrically, wipe my ass with every TP I have. Reception. Now, this one, it was hard to find any sort of like big reviews on it. For some reason, I think this is like fairly niche of an album. I always, I thought it was more popular than. I thought it was too, but I think that's because we live in Canada. Yeah, I thought it might have been. There was no real like major publications. It wasn't even a part of his Wikipedia page. Anything about reception? Yeah. Um. So I feel like a three is probably yeah not not a three out of ten. I was thinking like a three out of five. So maybe a four or a five is probably fair. Yeah, I'd say that because like right now where we're sitting at it, oh, we have to do album art too. Yes. Okay, I I'd, I'd go probably highest on album art out of anything that I've done so far. I'd say seven. Yeah, I think a think a six and a half is fair. So like, yeah. I don't know where we're at. I didn't do we're the math. at we're at a six point two five. I 10. think that's fairly. fair. I think that's fairly fair because the the tracks that are great on this album are like eights and nines, but the ones that aren't are so low. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I do love his stuff, and I think he matures more. Um, as he goes on, and maybe it was a mistake on our part doing this album in particular because we both are a fan of him. We've seen him in concert, yeah. um, but it is an interesting album. I also somewhat picked it because it's something we're familiar with and something that was short to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anywho, so we're at what a six point two five, six point two five out of ten, baby. Yeah, I think that's fair. What do you think, Samwise? I got to agree. I think I agree with all your points. Yes. Like he's grown so much as an artist, and like. 
you can look at this album and compare it to other stuff like like you said spencer when you it just started auto playing and you didn't even realize because yeah. everything fucking just sounds the same everything like. sounds the same i had no idea looped the looped the whole fucking thing yeah, while i was go. doing dishes i think 6.25 is 6.25 a I pretty solid right generous review for it uh, that yeah. was a good one that was a good one yeah good chat that was a that was a good one that was a long one how long did we run that one sam um, outside of the like almost fifteen minute break because of my camera, uh, we ran like an hour fifteen. Yeah, All tight, right. tight. That's pretty tight. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next time. Anal contusions. Thank you for listening to this episode of Misfits on Vinyl, hosted by Spencer Streichert and me, Aaron Walsh, and of course produced by Sam Sam the Tech Man, Sam Lindsay. If you like us, please rate us, subscribe to us, share us. Our socials are Misfits on Vinyl Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. If you want to send us an email with any suggestions or criticisms, uh, we love that shit, so send it away. It's Misfits on Vinyl at gmail.com. We love you guys. Thank you.